Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Be seated in the presence of the Lord. Man, we did have a great time yesterday, and I'm glad that uh, Trina and I were able to be with you and to share those moments with you. It's been a good weekend so far, and I believe God's not finished yet. I believe that God wants to speak to everybody in the room and to some of us in very particular detail that God wants to do something great in our lives. So I just hope that you, as many of you were at the conference yesterday, I hope you'll just keep yourself open, keep your heart open and ready to receive from the Lord. I just want to say at the outset, um, what an honor it is. Every time Trina and I have been at Champion Life Center, it's been our delight. And we've always just been so blessed to be here. And I'm, I got a chance to hug uh, Bishop Green and Sister Polly's neck this morning and love them. So glad to see you guys. We love you, pray for you often. And of course, your consummate leaders, um, Pastor James and Debbie, man, what great people, what anointed leaders, what intentional people they are. And uh, I know you're all praying and believing. And I just want to say this, that, you know, it's never too late for God for a miracle. As a matter of fact, God doesn't operate on our time clock, does he? He's, he's always on his time clock. And for Moses standing at the brink of the Red Sea, it was like, we're toast. We are toast people. But God said, what do you have in your hand? He stretched the rod out. And just like that, the waters rolled back. Israel was saved and the armies of Pharaoh were defeated. So we just keep on believing. Keep believing and asking and seeking the Lord. As a matter of fact, I just, this is not part of my talk today, but I would just ask you as Champion Life Center, all of you, the family online today, push the plate back. Let's, let's, let's dig in deep for Pastor Debbie and Pastor James and believe that God is able to do the unthinkable. And, you know, Jesus said in the New Testament, that he said, sometimes these things don't come by except by prayer and fasting. So let's push the plate back. Let's honor our pastors. Come on. Would you help me thank God for our leaders, our pastors, James and Debbie Green. Would you help me? Praise God. We love them. We want them to know how much we love them. Amen. Yes. Come on. Honor the people of God. Honor our leaders. We praise you, Lord, for James, Pastor James and Debbie. And they're in good hands. I know they're in good hands. They have a, she has the best medical care that, that you can get. And most of all, more than that, she's in the hands of the Lord who is faithful in all things. Amen. Amen. Uh, again, we're glad to be here. I want my beautiful wife, Trina, to stand up. Just stand up, baby. Let everybody see how smart I am. Come on, turn around. Isn't she gorgeous, y'all? She's the better part of me. Uh, I really how blessed I am. Uh, she's a, she is a spark plug in our life and marriage and ministry, and we're just really thankful. I'm, I'm thankful about all that God is doing post-COVID. You know, through COVID, you guys have been so faithful. And then I've talked to Pastor James, and your faithfulness, and you're here today. And so thank you. All of you viewing online from wherever you are around the world, we welcome you into this worship space at Champion Life Center. We're thrilled that you're joining us today. And so um, we, we know that the, the ministry and mission of this church has always been to reach beyond the walls of the church. Thank God for these gatherings that happen here. Um, but honestly, true ministry, so much of ministry takes place beyond these walls. I just, again, uh, know that, that God is all about that. And so is Champion Life Center. And so are your pastors. These are pastors and leaders with a heart to see broken people healed and mended and lives put back together and hope birthed in the hearts of broken people and restored and people armed with their God or, you know, when you get your God ordained purpose, man, you're ready and you're dangerous. When you get 
linked in and tied down to your God-ordained purpose. That's what Growth Track is all about, frankly. And I just encourage you, if you haven't been through Growth Track, if, if we do that in our home church in West Monroe. And if you're just starting to be a part of this church, wade in a little bit deeper. Go find out what you were created to be and do in the body of Christ and let the Word of the Lord be, begin to connect you on a deeper, deeper level. As the 19th century British, legendary British pastor said Charles Spurgeon wrote, the sheep of Jesus flock together. The social element, he continues, is the genius of Christianity. We need each other, man. We need each other. And so let's get, believe me, it's better together. Um, thank you, Frank and Tanya, for hosting us so well. And this whole lead team, I came in this morning with a few changes in my notes, and they're jumping through hoops. You guys are the bomb. I'm telling you, y'all are all amazing. Come on, this band, this worship team, all the media department, kids department, serve team, they, they, they cranking out Starbucks out there, man, like gallons of coffee this morning. Y'all got some quality people in this house, and I'm, I'm thrilled that we are here together. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that just kick my shoes off and put my feet on your coffee table and um, go up in your fridge, you know, if, if, if I need to. And so this is Texas, right? This is the South. This is hospitality territory. And I'm just going to be at home. And if, if you're a guest like I am, hey, let me just say it. Welcome home. You found your home here at Champion Life. How many believe that? Come on, celebrate. Yes. All right, let's jump into the Word of God together. Uh, I want to talk to you from this title or subject, Confident in God's Provision. Confident in God's Provision. First Kings, if you have your Bible, and then we will also look uh, at, at Luke chapter 7, but we'll start with First Kings. This is a well-traveled story that you all would recognize, and I'll just read this passage to you. The Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow of all people. I've instructed a widow to feed you there. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, <clears throat> he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, Hey, would you, would you mind bringing me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called her, Oh, well, bring me a little bite of bread while you're, while you're at it. She said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Maybe you didn't hear. We're in a famine. We're in a problem situation here. And I have only a handful of flour in a jar and a few drops of oil left in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering some sticks to build a fire, cook this last meal. Then me and my son are going to eat it and die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Somebody say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what you got left over to prepare a meal for you and your son. Is this what the Lord said? The Lord God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Come on, would you put your hands together one more time? Thank God for his word. Thank God for the confidence that we have in his word. I, I think we'd all say that we're confident in the provision of God for our personal lives and for our families. I, I believe that for the most part, uh, we are. But if I've learned anything over the course of my life and ministry over serving God for 35 years or ministry for 35 years, it's that my faith through the course of my life will in some way at some point be put to 
the test. The only way you can know if you got real faith is if you, your faith is tested. Come on now, let's just go ahead and get real right up front this morning. I want to look at a couple of stories. This one out of First Kings and then another one out of Luke 7 that I believe is going to give us insight that is to a lifestyle that's punctuated by confidence in God's provision. We read them just a minute ago about a single mom who's in a very difficult situation. I mean trying times. The most difficult part of her struggle is that there's a famine in the land and she has a baby. And she's a widow. Now you talk about misery compounded on top of misery. This is a bad situation. It's a sacked economy. The food's expensive and scarce. Gas is four bucks a gallon. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? After she spent all that she had, she's finally run completely out of resources. And one day she comes to the realization, we're done. We're gonna, I'm going to take this little handful of meal and a few drops of oil. I'm going to make one last cake for me and my little boy. We're going to eat that cake. We're going to lay down and die together. That's a sad picture, isn't it? Really desperate. Not, not too far away, there's a prophet of God named Elijah. And he's been powerfully used by God. But he too has been affected by the same famine. And God's not finished with Elijah yet. So, so he's been feeding Elijah down by... Uh, Spring Creek, maybe, a Brook Cherith, okay? He's been feeding him down there by bringing in a raven with meat and bread morning and evening. And he's been drinking water from the brook, but then the famine is so desperate, the brook dries up. Now what's Elijah going to do? God says, get up from Brook Cherith and go down to this widow in Zarephath. It's amazing God would change the DNA, the nature of a carnivorous bird, a meat eater. We, we call them buzzards in Louisiana. I'm guessing if I don't miss my guess, y'all call them buzzards in Texas too. God supplies Elijah's needs with meat and bread twice a day by this dirty birdie. It's remarkable, don't you think? I mean, really, the man who prophesied the drought was subject to the drought. It's so important for us to understand that seasons of drought will come for Every one of us, nobody is exempted from seasons of drought. We can spend the rest of the day and into tomorrow and maybe next week of people lined up telling their drought story because we all got one, right? We all, and if you don't, I, I, I don't come to discourage you, I come to encourage you today. But if you have not been through a season of drought, get ready because it's coming. Somebody said you're either, in, you're either going into the storm, you're in the storm, or you're coming out of the storm, but you're somewhere, there's some storms in your life, right? So the brook dries up and God says to Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath and there you'll find a widow lady with a little boy and I want you to move in with this woman. This is going to get interesting, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're already, we've just entered scandal toy right here. Scandal territory. I mean, we're not even to the juicy part yet. And it's fixing to hit the Jerusalem post. There's a prophet's moved in with a woman. God help us. <laughs> so Elijah bumps into the lady right off the bat and says, I'm supposed to stay at your house with you and your son. So, which she probably said, hey, in a day or two, you can have the whole house to yourself because me and my boy are about to die. You can just have the whole thing. Uh, but Elijah said, no, we're just, I'm just going to be here for a while. I'll take the front room. And just one more thing. God said, you're supposed to feed me from that nearly empty bin of flour and those few drops of oil. You're supposed to feed me first. And if you feed me first, God's going to resupply your flour and your oil. 
Some go wash up for dinner. You get the stove lit and get ready and go ahead and start baking my cake. And trust me, this is all going to be good. Just trust me in this. But feed me first. Feed me first. What would you do if you were that woman? You'd be tempted to throw this guy out on his ear, wouldn't you? Come on. I mean, we're all humans. This guy barges in here, says, I'm moving in. You're going to feed me that last, last little bit of meal. Don't worry about you and your boy. Just feed, feed me. This guy is eat up with it, man. I don't care what he's saying. I just got enough for one last morsel of food for me and my boy. And he comes in, claims the room for himself, says God's going to supply all our needs. Feed me first. And if you're going to do that, then it's all going to be good. I'm sure she's thinking, how do I know for sure that God is going to resupply the oil and the meal barrel? Like the prophet said, here's a little insight for you. In a very real way, we're all in the same sandals as this lady, this widow of Zarephath. And if you're going to survive the shortages in your life, listen to me, if you're taking notes, jot some things down today, you got to keep your eyes on the Word of God and not on your surroundings. You got to lift your eyes up to the Lord. You got to get your focus on the Word. We, we feel the Holy Spirit's nudge toward greater faith, bold faith. And then we ponder and pause and wonder, does God really have my back on this? I mean, I'm about to step out on the water. Does God, is God going to catch me? Is it going to hold me up? I'm about to launch this ministry. Is God going to be there to meet me? Is he going to be my supplier? Is God going to show up when I take a step of faith? Will he see and honor my obedience? Will he resupply or won't he? Uh, there's, uh, I met a couple of Cajuns yesterday and I'm not, I'm a North Louisiana guy. So we're five hours North of New Orleans. I tell people we're more Arkansas hillbillies than we are Louisiana Cajuns, right? I met some few or some real Cajuns yesterday at the uh, PS I Love You conference. Uh, and so I, I should have them telling this story one day Boudreaux answered an ad um, and took a job of loading uh, 500 penguins and taking them down to the zoo. So he hitches up his pig trailer and he loads up the penguins. He gets going and all of a sudden his truck truck starts knocking and and spitting and sputtering. Sound like he slung a rod or something and he pulls over the side. He's got these penguins he's got to get to the zoo and and he's already made a contract. He needs his payday and he's just waiting and hoping somebody will come by. And sure enough, he looks up and Thibodeau's coming down the road. So he flags Thibodeau down, flags him down. Thibodeau, I give you a dollar ahead if you take these penguins down to the zoo. Thibodeau, sure, I'll do that for you. No problem. So he hooks the trailer up and away Thibodeau goes. Next day, Boudreaux's truck gets fixed. And he's going downtown to see who's stirring around. It's a Saturday morning. And, and he, he sees about two blocks away something that blows his mind. And it's Thibodeau crossing the street and 500 penguins single file marching behind him. He runs up and says, Thibodeau, I done told you to take these, these, I gave you $500 to take these penguins down to the zoo. And Thibodeau says, Sha, cool your crawdads. We don't been to the zoo. We had money left over, so now we going to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what you say. Mm-mm-mm. All Louisianans are not like Thibodeau, I promise you. And that, listen, that has absolutely nothing to do with my message today, so forgive me. 
When our hopes and dreams become dependent solely on our own human capacity, we miss the mark and we limit God through our unbelief. As a matter of fact, jot it down, our human ability often conceals supernatural possibility. Our ability masks supernatural possibility. We need to get out of the way and let God do what he wants to do. We get so wrapped up in what we can do to fix our problem. We pencil whip it. We call the bank and get new credit cards, call mom and daddy. We forget to make a demand on the promises that God has already made for us as his people. Over and over throughout our Christian experience, we will be called to display faith, radical faith in God. Somebody shout radical faith. Come on, you do better than that. One, two, three. Thank you. Radical faith is what has produced the notables in the Bible. It happened in the life of this widow and her story is still being told to this day. It happened to a boy who gave his fish dinner as a starter for feeding 5,000 people. It happened to Peter who displayed radical faith, threw his leg over the boat on that stormy sea and walked on the water. Radical faith produces son for Abraham, the, the, the father of the faithful, Romans 4 says, the father of all who believe. He's our father in faith. And it produced a son when Abraham was 100 years old. Listen, I, I'm 63. I get out of the bed in the mornings and it sounds like every bone from my hips down crackles and, cr- and pops. And I'm thinking Abraham at 100 got to get up and get a bottle or change a diaper at 100 years old at 3 a.m. in the morning. That can't be good. But he did it. God move Gideon to action. Think about it. What would cause a man, any man to face off against the hordes of the Midianite army with just 300 men? I'll tell you what would make you do that radical faith. Somewhere in his heart of hearts, Gideon must have thought without God, we are, we are just going to, we're going to be obliterated on our own. There's no way this can come or turn out good. But God, somebody say, but God, but God is with us and God is able. Has he, I love that course. I never heard that course. He won't, he won't, he won't. Somehow another like that, boy, that's a good one. I told, I leaned over to him and said, man, I like that. There's so much truth in that. What we just sang because God will never fail. And Gideon said, on our own, we're, we're, we're obliterated, but we got God with us and God will never fail us. And the rest is history. God took the dinkiest dude in Israel. By Gideon's own admission, I come from the smallest tribe. I'm the littlest guy in my whole family. And God used the most unlikely person in all of Israel to make a giant defeat of the Midianite armies. And why did he do that? So that everyone in Israel would know that God, not Gideon, had won the battle. Sometimes we break our arm trying to pat ourselves on the back. You don't get anywhere with God. God said, I won't share my glory with any flesh. God wants the glory. And all through the scripture, you see everything that God did was to bring glory so that the nations may see my power and bring glory to my name. Radical faith, man. Radical faith. Fact is, we'll be called throughout our, our lives to produce radical faith. Here's a question for you. 
When was the last time that you believed God for something you knew is absolutely outside your realm of your ability to accomplish? When's the last time you believed God for something like that? This is totally out there. As a matter of fact, I'll just ask you this. When's the last time you did something for the first time? When you stepped out. Most of these things that we're talking about, something for the first time, and we see them recorded in scripture. I don't see any other time where anybody had previously walked on water, but Peter did it for the first time. I don't see where a man a hundred years old sired a son to a woman who was 90 and was barren her whole life and still gave birth. That's the first time. When's the last time you did something for the first time by the power of God working in your life? When's the last time you stretched your faith to believe for the impossible? Fact is, we'll be called throughout our lives to display radical faith, but radical faith is dead, as James teaches, if it's not activated by our faith-filled works. So you can believe you're going to get the job all day long, but if you never go put in an application, all right, y'all see how that works, right? You can believe that there's going to be a three-course meal for dinner at your house, but if you stay on the sofa looking at the soaps, all right, let me move on. Let me, let me, let me get off of that. <laughs> your faith is beautiful, but if it's not activated by your works, and it's, it's, it's like a handful of sand that's slipping through your fingers, nothing's going to happen until you believe and then go do something about what you believe. Come on, somebody, you believe what I'm saying today? Yes. And how you answer the question as to your trust in God's faithful provision in your life will determine your level of confidence and security in Jesus Christ. Here's the next thing. Faith, faith, radical faith produces obedience in our lives. So Trina and I were, we, we were married when I was 18. She was 19. I met somebody who got married when he was four, she was 14. He was 16 yesterday. I about blew my mind. Um, we were, I was 18, she was 19. She robbed the cradle, y'all, and found what she wanted and went after it hard, boy. She went in hard, boy. <laughs> I think I put, I put my senior ring on her finger the second day and she took it and then the next day she handed it back to me and said, man, this is going way too fast. So I'm the one who went in hard. We were married 10 years, had a couple of kids, and then I, I was working offshore on a drilling rig, 14 and 14, 14 days out, 14 days home. Y'all are familiar with that in Texas, I'm sure. Uh, and and um, I accepted my call to ministry. I loved what I did. She had been raised in an oil field family offshore, her grandpa, her uncle, her dad, her brother, they all worked offshore. When I married her, guess where I went? Offshore. Uh, and, and 10 years in, we loved our life. We loved our marriage. We had a great, we were serving the Lord. We were very involved in the church, leading ministries, but still I was working offshore and I accepted my call to preach and things began kind of slow. I preached my first sermon, y'all, with my britches unzipped. I mean, her best friend through high school and college met me in the lobby and said, Tommy, I, I would really would have liked what you said, but I could not keep my focus with your britches unzipped. You know, my white shirt sticking out of my zipper like that. And it's very distracting, very distracting to say the least. <laughs> and in the 13 minutes it took me to speak my first sermon, my mother-in-law had time to lean over to my wife and tell her, no joke. 
She leaned over to my wife and said, you better go back and finish your education. That boy's going to need your help. And I did, and she did, and thank God for the wisdom of a mother-in-law. I'd worked offshore in the drilling industry for 10 years. God had blessed me. I'd climbed the ladder quickly and never, I'd I'd made driller, but I never made tool pusher permanently. I'd subbed in for tool pushing, but I never, and I wanted that. And the the, the tool pushers, the head boss, the top dog on the drilling rig, if you don't know that. Ultimately, we we accepted our call to ministry, moved our little family back to West Monroe to assist my dad in this fledgling 100 member church there. I took a job with the fire department. I lost two thirds of my income. And thankfully, we had savings, significant savings built up because they were matching dollar for dollar and we were putting everything we could in that savings. And we lived up that finally while she's in school and uh, lived up our savings. Then we started mowing yards to kind of help keep food on the table. Our savings ran out. It was like a handful of meal and a few drops of oil. We were hubbing it. I mean hubbing it. Trina was trying to help any way she could, going to host a I'm sure a crowd this size, people can relate to this. I, she was ho- hosting a Tupperware party. She's at school. She's coming in this afternoon to host a Tupperware party, try to get some extra money. I'd gotten off of the fire department that morning. I thought I'd swing by and make sure the house is straightened up. And I walked in at about two o'clock and the, and the heat hit me in the face. Turned the light on and nothing happened. They had turned our lights off. Well, that's back in the day when everything wasn't automated. So I, I run down the street and find, I call somebody, I'd, I'd, I'd borrowed Peter to pay Paul, Rob Peter to pay Paul. And I got the lights back on the house cooled down just before 18 ladies were showing up for this Tupperware party. Thank God. I'm just telling you how it was. And I'm not bragging on that. I'm just saying the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. We were in the pit financially. Trina finally graduated from college. She went to work, got her first check. I, I want to tell you, it was a partial check and it was a thousand dollars. If we didn't need that thousand dollars so bad, I would have framed that sucker. You hear me? But I could not. We had to cash it. Man, a thousand dollars when you're in that situation will change your world and it changed ours. It was in the middle of our most desperate financial situation and struggle. I received a phone call from the offshore drilling company that I'd previously worked for. On the other end of the line was the superintendent. And he said, Tom, I just want to call. I need a tool pusher. That's the job I wanted, never got. And um, so I had the phone pulled away from my uh, head so Trina could hear. She's got her head all bent over there and listening. And he says, listen, it it pays $65,000. This was 35 years ago. Y'all, $65,000 is a good salary today. This was 35 years ago. Company card, gas card, 401k. Uh, it was $20,000 more a year than I was making when I left there. Now, we are, we are in such financial duress. I'm telling you, it was very difficult. And so tr- when Trina heard the money, she started dancing around the kitchen. Tell him yes. Tell him yes. We'll take it. Tell him yes. Can y'all imagine how she might have been dancing? You probably can. And I had the ability, by the grace of God, to say to that gentleman on the other line, listen, That's a great offer. I'd love to take it, but I know I'm doing what I'm called to do. So thank you for thinking about me. And we hung up the phone and continued our journey in life. We didn't know what the future would look like for us financially, but I can tell you that in the 35 years of pastoral ministry that followed, God has been more than faithful 
to us. Come on, some of you can testify today. You know God's been more faithful to us than we have been to them. As a matter of fact, God is faithful when we are unfaithful. He's provided abundantly restored to us more than we could have ever imagined in our wildest dreams. Look at this out of of Philippians 4 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. Paul writes into the Philippians. He will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. This is, I'm not talking about something I've read about, a story I read in a book. That's not what I'm talking about. Listen, it may not happen when I wanted it to happen, but it happened. Again, we're not on God's, we're not, God's not on our time clock. There's a time and a season for everything. Listen, this is something that I've lived in real time. And it doesn't happen always when I want it to happen, but it always happens when I need it to happen. Radical faith leads to radical obedience. We were obedient in the call and God has been more than generous to us. Here's the third thing. Faith leads to obedience that leads to provision. Back to Elijah. He's getting cleaned up for dinner. Meanwhile, the woman says one more little morsel of bread can't keep us alive, me and my boy. We might as well roll the dice. We're going to take a chance on this guy, see if he's the real deal. Because I've heard some prophets and they came up short. I'm going to take a chance on this Elijah guy and I'm going to trust that God's going to resupply like the prophet said. So she empties the bin of flour and pours in those few drops of oil and slings the bottle down to try to get it all out and makes this final little cake and brings it to the prophet Elijah. If there ever was a display of radical faith linked with radical obedience, this must be it. You, listen, you do anything for your kids, won't you? You'll do anything for your kids. In my mind, she's probably responding like, okay, mister, you said bring you some bread first. I'm completely out of oil and flour now. You better enjoy this bread and you better, what you said better come, come true. And when she got back to the kitchen, <laughs> you know what happened, don't you? Guess what? God had replenished the oil and the flour and it blew her mind, baby. I mean, look at what we got. I don't think it was overflowing. I think it was enough for another cake that she baked and another cake and another cake and another cake. She makes a cake, brings it to her son. He scarfs that down and she comes back to the kitchen and like before the oil and the meal had increased to their previous amount. And this miracle of provision uh, uh, continued to repeat itself until the famine was over and the crops began to grow again. Until the famine was over, God fed all three of them. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 37, 25? I once was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. I can testify. I can tell you. I know myself what God has done for me. Praise God. Just knock my mic off. Thank you, Jesus. Provide now, Lord, and he will somehow. So listen, radical faith produces radical obedience that produces radical provision. You could argue and complain that they got pretty tired of bread every day, but I'll tell you this, they didn't starve to death. Here's the key, focus on your source and not your shortage. 
Second story is quickly from Luke 7. A Pharisee had invited Jesus to his home for a meal. And while they were eating, this sinful woman comes into the house, weeping at the feet of Jesus. Her tears literally fell onto his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair of her head. She kept kissing his feet and smearing fragrant oil on them. And the Pharisee watched this display of this woman, this sinful woman, and said to himself, if this man were a prophet, surely he would know what kind of woman this is. This woman is a notorious sinner. Jesus, knowing his thoughts, said, Simon, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 pieces of silver and the other owed him 50 pieces of silver. Neither of them can pay. So he just wrote the debt off. He forgave both of them. Which one of these two men do you think would be more grateful? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. Jesus said, you're exactly right. You see this woman kneeling here? She's doing for me what you didn't bother to do for me. I came to your house. You didn't, you didn't extend the common Eastern courtesy to me. You didn't give me a basin to wash my own feet, much less you didn't wash my feet, get the dust off my dirty feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with the hair of her head. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she has not ceased to kiss my feet since the moment she came in. You didn't bother to anoint my head with fragrant oil to, to overcome the, the sweat and the dust and everything that took me to get here. But she has anointed my feet with fragrant, rare perfume. I tell you this, her sins, oh, they're many, but they've been forgiven for she loved much. But whoever is forgiven little loves little. And she was going to give you a gift to God that really cost her something. She was going to give a gift to God that cost her something because she knew down deep in her spirit what we all know down deep in our spirits. Faith produces obedience, produces provision, produces gratitude. As a matter of fact, it's a continual cycle in the life of a maturing believer. Faith obedience, sacrifice, provision over and over and over again to exuberant gratitude. You know, every time we honor God with something, it ought not only be an expression of our obedience, but ought to be an expression of our gratitude birthed out of our love for our generous God. When I think of everything that God saved me from, I can sort of relate to the woman. When I look at back at my story past, don't raise your hand right now because we can all raise our hands right now and say, I, I can relate to this woman. God has been faithful to me. So our generosity toward God ought not just be an expression of our obedience, but it ought to be birthed out of our gratitude for the faithfulness of God. That's why when we honor the Lord with our giving, we bring our tithe and offering. We're generous with other people outside the house. We see a little widow woman. We, th we you know, we got, we, we had an extra job. We, we made an extra 300 bucks and the spirit of the Lord says, Hey, this woman's hard, having a hard time paying her electric bill. Won't you help her? And he said, well, sometimes we go, Oh no, get behind me, Satan. Just get behind me. 
<laughs> no. Devil ain't never going to tell you to help some widow woman. That's the spirit of the Lord. And we can do that because when we realize what all that God has done for us, then it makes us joyfully generous with God and his people. Somebody say amen. Uh, Trina and I have a pastor friend who loves God with his whole heart. He's married to life, wife of his youth and beautiful, young, feminine, talented, so well presented, could play and sing like you can't imagine pastoring a church, doing the will of God. And she contracted multiple cirrhosis and battled that disease, claiming healing every step of the way. And when their second son was born, it really escalated this disease on her and its effect in her body. She never really was. After she gave birth to her second son, she never really was the same. Unable to raise her own child, the ladies in the church would, would help the pastor and uh, they would take turns with him, sitting with him in church and helping get the boys dressed. And finally, this pastor's wife digressed to a wheelchair, then to incontinence, 30 to 35 years of age. Sad story. She couldn't dress herself, so he dressed her. He combed her hair, always kept her presentable, took her everywhere he went. The boys would help feed their mother. They're eight and 12, and they would have to say, Mom, don't say that. She would blurt out all these unthinkable things at a restaurant where they're eating. And the, the eight and nine, 10 year old boys says, mom, don't, you're not supposed to say that. They mothered her, the boys, the children mothered their mother. Ultimately, she passed and left this father with two young boys, 12 years old and eight years old and have the mother of his children and his partner in ministry snatched away from his grasp at such a young age, 35 years of age, must have been devastating. I just have a hard time putting myself in those shoes. In that funeral service, knowing the grief, sensing the pain that was in his heart. And then to see that man with the weight of the world on his shoulders stand to his feet and lift his hands toward heaven, tears streaming down his face and just worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. But able to worship as if to say, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand everything that goes on around us and about this life. I don't understand everything there is to know and understand about this world. But there's something I do know, and that is this. You are my God. You are my King, and I will worship you, and I will love you, and I will give you my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything that is in me through difficulty, through trial, through pain, through loss, and now I've got tears running down my cheeks. And just imagine all of heaven peering over the clouds of glory saying, what courage, what passion, what faith, what love. Go, Joey, go. Today he's got a beautiful wife, remarried, still pastoring the same church, raised his two sons to love God throughout their issues, his oldest son following him in ministry, beautiful daughters-in-laws, joy of grandchildren, all because he chose to live with confidence in God's provision. To invest his life in things revealed and leave the secret things in the hands of the Lord. 
Let me close with this scripture out of Ephesians 3 and 14. It's a little lengthy, but I want to read it anyway. Forgive me. When I think of this, Paul writes, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ may dwell in, make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love, keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how high, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ through, though it is true great to fully understand, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory be to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise you, Lord. Come on, you receive the Word of God today. Put your hands together. Thank the Lord for His Word. Let your faith, let your faith produce obedience. That you'll step up to the plate and just follow that graph around it. That uh, obedience produces sacrifice and then uh, uh, such a radical gratitude to God for everything that He has done and accomplished in your life. Let me pray for us. Bow your heads right where you are. I, I don't want to close the service without just giving somebody here today who you've been fighting it by yourself. You've been going it alone. You thought, oh, I can do it. I can make this happen. I can make it work. And maybe you came in today and you're, you have questions about your tomorrow. You don't, you don't know what, what's up with life. And maybe your kids have run off the wrong rail. And may, maybe the kids have run off the rail. And you're, you're just wondering what in the world is, what's next? And maybe your marriage isn't a struggle. Maybe your job is talking about moving across the country. And maybe your house note's two months behind and you're trying to figure this out. Maybe there is a physical need, emotional need. Maybe as a child you were abused verbally, sexually, physically, and you're carrying those wounds in your life and you don't know what to do to deal with them. I give you Jesus who on the cross bore your sin, my sin, all our pain, regret. He purchased our salvation. He healed us by the stripes that he bore on his back. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, he made provision for every one of us. And you're here today and you've never made an overture toward Jesus. Maybe you've never even tipped your hat toward him, but something brought you here today. Or maybe you're here and you've been around church all your life, but you just never made a personal declaration of your faith. I want to give you an opportunity to bow your heads with me again. Eyes are closed. I wonder if you're in this room. Maybe you need to come back to God. I just want you to be bold and throw your hand in the air. Nobody's looking around. Come on, we're in a private. Thank you. Come on, thank you for those hands. 
I see your hands. God bless you right there, right here online. There's a place for you to just click that link and let us know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. We're committing, keep those hands up. We're recommitting some things to God today. Turning our life to Jesus. Pray this simple prayer with me. Everybody in the full whole room, can we just pray it full voice? Everybody, whether you raise your hand or not, I promise you it won't hurt you to pray this. Pray it with me right now. Lord Jesus, I receive your grace your forgiveness into my life. Thank you for loving me with such radical love, saving me by your own blood that you spilled. Today I receive your grace. I receive your mercy. I turn from my wicked past and to you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. Today and 10,000 Sundays from today, I will be found loving you and serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, would you put your hands together one more time? Praise your name, Lord. Listen. If you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time or rededicating, there's a card in the back or there's a, there's a link on the screen. You can just, you can just cue in on that and there's a place for you to let us know. We want, this church wants to come alongside you to help you so much that they, for everybody who has recently recommitted or committed their life to Jesus, there's a new believer's Bible that's available to you. You can get it right out of the front information desk. They'll make sure you get your hands on that. We'd love for you to take that connection card, take it out front. Tell somebody what God did in your life. Stretch your hands toward heaven. I want to pray us out. Come on, everybody in the room, I want to pray a blessing over you. Father, I speak the goodness of God and the favor of heaven over every person in this room today. Thank you for strengthening our bodies, strengthening our homes, strengthening our marriages. Elevate us on the job, God. We declare your blessing and glory over our lives so that the unbelieving world around us will look at us and say, whatever he has, whatever she's got, I want some of it. Tell me about your faith in Jesus. God, use us in that way. I speak calm and blessing and goodness and grace over every person in this room today. In Jesus' name, come on, shout amen. God bless you, Champion Life. We love you guys so much.